I just want to say, I think there's a special reward in heaven for you to go to church when you lose an hour of sleep. Just, I just want to, anybody feel that way? This, yeah, um, I don't have a scripture for that, but I, I think if anyone was asking, that would be my thing. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, so last weekend, uh, I, f- uh, I felt like I needed a little uh, bit of time to unplug and just really connect with God. And so I went on like a 48-hour camping trip and hiking, uh, just kind of go to a place just for me and God, just by myself, and just kind of hang out with him. And um, it's interesting. So I, I, I chose this place called the Guadalupe Mountains. Have you all been to the Guadalupe Mountains? It's about south, about three hours southeast from here. And I decided this is what I like to do. If I, if I want to hang out with God, I want to do so uh, doing a strenuous activity, as in hiking. And so I wanted to summit a peak, uh, the highest peak in Texas, by the way, which is not that big a deal because it's, it's Texas, not the, the big mountain. But uh, I decided to go on a hiking trip and so um, went to this, this, uh, this place called Guadalupe National Forest and uh, was hiking this trail. And uh, there's some beautiful trails there. Uh, it's a, the topography is a lot like uh, our area here. And uh, as I'm going through there, uh, the peak is at 8,700, uh, 8, not 87,000. That's space. Um, <laughs> yeah, did, did, did not have my oxygen. Uh, no, uh, 8,700 feet is the peak. And uh, this is the peak, uh, Guadalupe Pass, or Guadalupe Peak here. And to get to that peak, you climb in four, it takes only four miles to get to the peak, but you climb 3,000 feet, which doesn't sound like a lot till you're stepping for 3,000, and, and, and you're zigzagging through the mountain. And, and I don't do a whole lot of these uh, hikes where I go to a peak um, <laughs> because they're hard, and I'd rather just do flat uh, hikes. But uh, there's something about climbing a mountain, something about climbing 3,000 feet as you do, as you're zigzagging up this mountain, and I recommend any hikers to do this except if you have bad knees, don't attempt this. Uh, There's my disclaimer. But as you're zigzagging, you're climbing so high and so fast that you're able to see your perspective changes. The cars in the parking lot get smaller and smaller faster. And and you begin to see further and further out in in, in West Texas. And it's just a really neat thing. But as I'm climbing and as I'm kind of lactic acid is building up in my legs and and I'm running out of water, and, and, and uh, that's where I feel like I'm close to God, where I'm part suffering and praying at the same time. Uh, I begin to take inventory of my life. As I'm on this journey to the peak, I begin to think about my faith journey. And I begin to think in kind of, I'm, I'm 45 now, and I begin to see that there were moments in my life where I took a step of trust in God, a, a step of faith, and his faithfulness always met me. Uh, moments like, I, I think back in those moments when I was, um, uh, I was feeling like I needed to really step out in faith and obey God with my finances when I was in college. And it's one thing if you have a career and you got a job, but it's another if you're a cor- poor college student and this whole idea of giving and tithing is like, well, tithe off of what? My ramen? You know, I, it, it, it's so... 
Those moments like that where I trusted God or trusted God in knowing that I needed to forgive this person or mending this relationship or when it came to my career or when it came to opportunities, these moments where it was almost as if, as if I'm going up, you know, this mountain, it may be because the lack of oxygen, but uh, I just begin to see my life as a, like a movie reel. These little moments where my faith intersected with this faithfulness and all of a sudden it dawned on me as I'm thinking back on all those moments that I've had with my Heavenly Father that my life hit a tipping point. That this tipping point was simply this. What God has done for me has eclipsed what I hope he will do for me. There was a moment in my life, and it's because I've been a follower of Jesus for over 30 years, and there was a moment where now I realize that the tracks of his faithfulness are greater than what I'm hoping that he will do for my life. Uh, for, for instance, I have a lot of hope that God will do for me and for my family. I have a lot of hope and prayers for my kids. I, I pray that they get a great job. I pray they go to a great school. I, I, I pray that they have, get great friends. You know what I'm talking about when your kids get teenagers? You're praying for their, their friends, aren't you, right? That's a huge thing. And so I'm praying for that, and I'm, I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for my health. You know, God, I want to be able to, to hike when I'm, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. I want to be able to do these things. And so I pray and hope that he will help me and that I pray for my financial future. You know, if, if at this rate of inflation, uh, eggs will be worth gold, uh, you know. And so I'm praying in that. I'm even praying for this country. I'm praying that I believe God can do something pretty amazing in the United, in the United States. And I, and I have hope for that. And I have hope for what he can do for this city. I think God can do amazing things in this city. And I'm hoping and praying. But here's the reality. What he has already done for me has eclipsed what I hope he will do for me. For what he's already done for my kids, what he's already done for my family, my health, my finances, all these things, I begin to realize that I, I can see my doubts differently. I can see things that, that, that are challenged. And if, if, per se, God doesn't do an amazing revival in this nation, it doesn't shake my faith. Even though if, if my kids do some crazy things, it won't shake my faith because I've seen his faithfulness sustain me too long. I've experienced too much. I've been loved too much by him. I've, I've experienced too much of his grace to turn back now. Does, does this make sense? Now you're like, well, when can I do one of these hikes too? I, I like, that sounds like a cool moment. At the, real, at the end of this, I just had a moment and said, I am so glad I said yes to following Jesus. I'm so glad. I said yes to following Jesus, and, and maybe you're here and you haven't, and you're here and you're like, Justin, I'm just here because uh, someone just threatened me to come to church, and I said, okay. Um, I hope you say yes too. I hope you say yes, and not just because I have, because I want you to take an inventory of your life, and I just pray that, that you will experience what I've gotten to experience. You see, we've been in this series called Investigating Jesus, and we're kind of taking a dive into why is it worth following Jesus? Why is it worth following? And, and what we've come to realize is that the credibility of Christianity hangs on the identity of only one individual, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus of Nazareth, it all hinges on him. So if you're considering becoming a follower of Jesus or if you're considering leaving Christianity, before you do, I want you to take into account this one question that we've been wrestling with. And this one question is this, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John reliable accounts of actual events? If only one of the accounts are true, if only one of these accounts are are true and what they say about Jesus is true, then you and I need to lean in. Because every one of these four accounts, it ends the same. Jesus dies on a cross and rises from the dead. And the reason why they're telling this story is because it's a story worth telling. It's a story worth telling because he is a savior worth following. And so we're, we're you know, diving into the, just one of the accounts, Luke. And as we're diving into the accounts, this is how he starts his gospel account. A gospel according to Luke. This is how he starts it off. He, he says this, that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So Luke's like, I'm not the only one that wrote about this. Many have. He goes on to say this. Just as they were handed down to us, so everyone's still alive that's writing about these accounts. This isn't hundreds of years later. I mean, we're talking years, just a few years later, by those who were from first, the eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke's compiling this investigation for the eyewitnesses to everything that they saw and experienced from Jesus. Verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decide to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's like, I, I want to I write this for you, Theophilus, and then anyone who else will read this. And I'm writing this for this reason, so that you may know with certainty the things that you have been taught. Luke wants to make sure, Theophilus, and wants to make sure that we know Everything that has been done, carefully investigated, that everything about Jesus, what, I've, what he said about Jesus, is true. So as we're diving into this, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 5, if you're following along. Now, we're going to really key in on one of Jesus' disciples. And Luke kind of really focuses the attention in 4 and 5 Focusing on the entrance of this one disciple. His name's Simon Peter. And so at different times, the Bible's going to say Simon. And different times, it's going to say Peter. Or it's going to say Simon Peter. But it's the same person. Simon Peter. And so Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is where we start off. It says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I love that. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. So he's beginning to grow in fame. And this is before TikTok, right? This is before social media. So this is word of mouth. He's, news is, is spreading about him. And so everywhere he goes, crowds are beginning to form. Crowds are going to be beginning to form when he's speaking in a synagogue, when he's preaching, or when he's out and about you're going to see that crowds are always there. And so Jesus is at a synagogue near Capernaum, uh, and Simon Peter is there listening to Jesus. And after he's done, and again, the place is packed, and all the rabbis are like, we need to have Jesus here more often because the, the church is packed, right? 
Jesus, then it says this in, in verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon, Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So Simon's hanging out in the synagogue, listening to Jesus preach. Wouldn't that be awesome, right? He's preaching, he's in the synagogue, and then afterwards he invites Jesus over for lunch. And he goes on to say, so he bent over, so this is mother-in-law sick, and so Jesus bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up, and I, I love this about her, she got up at once and began to wait on them. And it's like, you know, you need to settle down. No, 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 no. We, someone's got to get the roast ready, you know, for the Sunday meal uh, or Saturday meal. And it says, because of that, because of this, the news spread, and at sunset of the same day, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. So you can imagine, it's one thing to be pretty popular because you're a great preacher, but now people are like, he also heals the sick. And if you're like, well, why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus... Well, Luke's telling you because that's exactly just what happened. There's no agenda other than to say that Jesus is not just pointing to as a great teacher. Or he's not being just pointed to to be a great healer. But something is more important than even his teachings and his miracles. And that is who Jesus claimed to be. And everything in his messages and everything in his healings pointed to this claim that he's not just a teacher He's just not a reformer. He's not just a great, nice, new rabbi that's pretty popular. But he is more than that. He is the son of God. And so Peter's seen this. He heard him speak, and now he's healed his mother-in-law. And so Peter's experiencing this. And we see why Jesus is claiming this. He says in verse 43, he says, But I must proclaim, everyone help me with these two words, Good news. One more time. Of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Jesus is saying, I am here. Yes, I'm going to be healing. Yes, I'm going to be preaching amazing messages. But I'm here to proclaim the good news. Well, what is the good news? That God's rule and reign is here and is available. And he's ushering in God's rule and reign. And, and if you may sit there and think, well, I'm not sure, or maybe, maybe you'd say it like this. If you think that the reign and rule of God is something that would be bad for you, then you don't understand God as Jesus presented him. If it's not good news to you, you may not be following the original version of Christianity. Maybe some perversion of that. But Jesus says, when I'm here and I'm ex explaining that God has come near, this is good news for everyone. And it's especially good news for Peter because he's involved in all this and he's been hearing a message, he's been seeing that Jesus is doing miracles and he's experiencing all this. And then we see in Luke chapter 5, Jesus comes and enters into his world. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 it says, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, this term Gennesaret, people have, in the Bible, it's also Sea of Galilee. Uh, if you 
If you go there today, some people call it the Sea of Tiberias, but it's the same body of water. And here's a picture a few years ago I actually got to go there. So just imagine Jesus is on the edge of this lake, this, this or lake or sea. It's four miles wide and 14 miles long. And in New Mexico, we call that an ocean, by the way. Just, you know, it's a, it's a big body of water. And it's in this kind of valley, and there's kind of mountains. It's this bowl. And so, and we'll find out later that it gets really hot there. Uh, when I visited uh, Israel, it was in October, and it was a lot hotter than it was in Alamogordo. We're high desert. It was like in this bowl, and the sun was just baking. So Galilee is this really hot time of year for, for most of the year. So Jesus is standing there on the edge of the water, and it said this. It says, as he's standing there, the people were crowding around him. Why? Because they're hearing him preach. He's healing these people. And so they're like, we're coming to listen to him. And they were listening, get this, to the word of God. Do you know what Luke just did there? Now, Luke is basically saying every word that Jesus is speaking is the word of God. He's equating the words of Jesus with God's words. Verse 2, so he saw that the water's edge, there were two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, this is kind of a cultural cue there. They don't have uh, fishing, you know, poles. They don't have, you know, fishing lures and all that. They would generally fish with nets. Now, to fish with nets, and I've never done this. I've seen my uncle do this to try to catch little minnows, but um, to fish for with nets, you don't have a lot of, of, of string, right? I mean, so he throws it over there, and the fish have to be pretty much close to the surface. So fishermen to fish for, for fish, fish for fish, okay, we'll keep going. <laughs> He's fishing for fish with a net. To do so, it needs to be the cool of the day. So that's why a lot of these fishermen will fish at night or really early in the morning when fishermen, where the fish are biting, people should be sleeping generally. That's why I don't like fishing. It's like let's, they need to be on my terms, not on their terms. But So they're fishing, and so they, they're basically washing their nets because it's mid-morning, it's warm, and the fish are not at the surface. Here we go, verse 3. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, Simon Peter, the same guy that saw him, heard him at the synagogue, heard him preaching, also healed his mother-in-law. And so he got into one of the boats, and he's like asking, Simon, can I borrow your boat? And, and Jesus is like, I mean, Simon's like, of course you can borrow my boat. You're, I mean, you healed my mother-in-law. You're a great preacher. And he's doing something because he asked him to put it out a little far from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And this is they didn't have a mic system, right? So Jesus was, is talking to a throng of people, and the best way to do so is to do with, with water because water kind of helps amplify the sound. So they're all on shore. He's out a little bit from the boat, sits down, and he's able then to teach, and everyone can hear him. And so it says this, that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, He's about to ask Simon Peter to do something. He's about to ask him to take a baby step, a, 
a trust me step, a, a little thing to say, Peter, I want you to trust me in this one area. And he asked him to do this. He says, after he's done preaching and teaching, he says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, this is what Simon Peter's probably thinking. Rabbi, stick with the miracles and the teaching. Let the fishermen fish, right? We know that you don't fish in the middle of the day because the fish are at the bottom of the lake and you don't really catch them like that. You have to wait till they're at the surface. And, but he doesn't say that. He, he, he doesn't say that, but he does give a little bit of like, this is not a good idea. In fact, he says this. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I don't know. Is that every, that's every fishing story I ever have. Anybody with me on that? It's like someone's catching it, but it's not me. And so the fish are not biting. So Jesus, this is great, but he doesn't argue with Jesus. He doesn't even say, you stick to miracles, I'll stick to fishing, let me stay in my world. No, Jesus is asking Peter, get this, to do something a little different, to do something that's out of the norm, to do something and actually trust him because it goes against conventional or common knowledge. He asked him to basically trust him in on this. And Peter, even though he sees, there's a little objection, hey, Jesus, the fish aren't biting, he says the five most powerful words that you and I could ever say. And that these five words for Peter changed his life forever. He said this, but because you say so. Jesus, this is not normal. Jesus, we in fact, the nets are already done <laughs> We're about to go home, eat some matzah, and, and, and just kind of call it, you know, we chalk this up to this day did not produce like we wanted it to. We're about to, because if we were to use our nets, guess what that'll mean? That'll mean cleaning them when everything is a lot hotter in the middle of the day. So he's asking, it's, it's going to be a big step for them, but it's not, but he says, look, look, Jesus, at the end of it, you're not even a fisherman, but I have seen enough. I've experienced enough, and I heard your sermons enough that I know, I don't know what's hanging in the balance here, but I know enough that I need to listen to you. Peter's faith is happening this moment. He's asking Peter to take a step in faith or trust. Peter, I need you to trust me because I want you to intersect with God's faithfulness. If you take this little step it, this will change your life forever. And Peter's willing to do so. Verse 5 says this. He says, okay, because you say so, I will let down the nets. I'm, he's moving beyond just believing. He's actually putting action with his belief. And that's true, isn't it? There's a difference, isn't there? It's one thing to have a work in belief knowledge about God, but it's a whole other thing to actually trust God in the application of your life. You're sitting here saying, uh, in moments to say, it's, it's one thing to believe, but it's another thing to take what I believe and then practice that 
in my life. You're inviting God into the everyday of your world. You see, you don't know, and he didn't know, what was hanging in the balance of this decision to say yes to Jesus. And you may never know what's hanging in the balance of your decision because you don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. To know that that decision you made 10 years ago puts you on a trajectory in your life for maybe five months from now. You don't know what hangs in the balance because you and I don't know what hangs in the future. But we do know this. It's always a good idea to say yes to Jesus. We may not have all the answers to our questions, but we have enough knowledge to know I need, when Jesus asks me to do something, I need to take a step of faith, a step of trust to say, I may not have all my answers to my questions, but I do know have, I have enough knowledge to say, I need to say yes to him. In verse 6, and when they had done so, not just believe so, but when they have done so, guess what happened? They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. It, it, it's beautiful. And then and the verse continues. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now that is a good fishing trip, by the way. And then I love this next part. Verse 8, and when Simon Peter saw this, that, that's big. Because it was at this moment, what are you thinking when you're Simon Peter? Are you thinking, yeah, I need to do business with Jesus. Uh, I need to take Jesus fishing. In fact, can we scale this and say, Galilee fish, blessed by Jesus, come and get your fish, you know, two for one? Do you scale it up? Do you go into business? No, that's not what Peter did. And that's not what you and I would do when we experience something like this. The miracle is awesome. And it's, and it's an amazing blessing. But his thinking wasn't about the miracle. His thinking was about Jesus. And you know what he did? It said he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I I'm a sinful man. You see, Peter, all of a sudden, this moment realized who he's talking to. Peter, in this moment, could care less about the catch, and it became a reflection on his life. And in Peter's mind, he thought, because of the person that I am, because of my past, because of what I've done in, in my life, he took an inventory in his life. And in his inventory, he sat there and goes, no. God distances himself from people like me. God removes himself because every religious person up to that point was all about that you had to be holy and that God was a holy God and was distancing himself. But here's the reality. Not only does God not distance himself in what Jesus was proving a point, but Jesus also invites himself over. Jesus is the one that said, let me go fishing with you. Hey, listen to me in this. In fact, Jesus would do this for several other disciples. For Matthew, he says, Matthew, come follow me. And by the way, Matthew, I'm going to your house and let's have a party. And Matthew's like, okay, let's, let's get the cupcakes ready, right? 
Let's, let's start inviting people over. Jesus, as he's walking along, would see another tax collector, Zacchaeus. And you know what he said to Zacchaeus? Hey, Zacchaeus, let's have lunch at your house. Jesus has a way of not just distancing, not only not distancing himself, but he invites himself over because that's the gospel. That's the good news. God has come near, and God wants to be near you, and he wants to be near me. That is good news. He has come near. And the very thing that Simon reflects on his life and says, no, you distance yourself. Jesus is like, this is why I came, Peter. You're a wreck. In fact, you're, we're, in fact Peter, you don't realize this, but there's going to be a lot of people that do sermons on what not to do from your life, Peter. But that's okay. Because I didn't come for those that don't need a doctor. I come for those that are sick. Those that are distant from him. I'm coming for those that are thinking that God doesn't want to have anything to do with them. He said, I've come for those people. And so, this powerful moment. He says to Peter, Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. At which I imagine he's like this going, come again? <laughs> How does that work? But do you know why you know Peter's name? Is because he said yes to Jesus. And that he did exactly what Jesus said. Fish for people. And we're a product. The fact that Peter did exactly that. And verse 11 is so powerful. So they pulled up their boats up on shore. They left everything and followed him. And you would too, wouldn't you? And what if Peter, I mean, it would be so awesome if Peter was standing right here to be. Peter, talk to us about that moment. And you know what I think Peter would say? He said, it was a great moment. Jesus did this really crazy fish trick for us, you know. But do you know what Jesus has done for you? What Jesus has done for you? Do you know what Jesus has done for you? You should. I wrote you a letter, 1 Peter 2, 23. It says this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he had suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Talking about Jesus, he goes on to say this. As he writes, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body and on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness and by his wounds we have been healed and you and I have been healed. It was an awesome fish trick. But at the end of the day, do you know what Jesus has done for each and every one of you today? I don't know about you, but it's an easy thing to say. Drop your nets and follow him. So, what's your next step? What's your next step? You see, this is why we follow. We don't follow because we hope what Jesus will do. We follow him because of what he has already done for you and me and for every one of us. 
And I believe Jesus is going to do amazing things in your life. And he's going to do amazing things. I imagine that he's going to do miracle after miracle. But at the end of the day, if Jesus never says yes to another prayer of mine, what he did on the cross is enough. That he bore my sins on his body. And by his wounds, I can stand healed. Physically spiritually, and that I have a hope of heaven, but not just a hope for a future. This is the thing that sometimes as Christians, we, we focus so much on a future hope in heaven that we forget about the power of Jesus in our, in our, in our now. So what's your next step? What does it look like for you, like Peter, to take Jesus fishing? What does that look like for you? Maybe you're here and you're kind of curious about faith, and you're like, I still don't fully know about all this stuff. In fact, Justin, this whole worldwide flood, six days of creation, I'm still, I got, got my hang-ups on this. But you're curious enough, as you're drawn to something and you're curious about faith, maybe your next step is to come back next week and hear more about Jesus and to kind of commit to be like, I want to hear all that I can about Jesus. Because if Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if just one of them are right, and I believe all of them shown themselves as accurate, but if just one of them is right about Jesus, then I need to lean in. So maybe that's your next step. Or maybe you've been a Christian for some time, and you're kind of like me, and you've been a Christian for many, many years, but there's still an area of your life in which you, you have a belief in Jesus, but there's an area in your life where, where you struggle to follow him. Maybe it's a thing like finances. Maybe it's a thing of relationships. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe you drink too much or you smoke too much or you eat too much. Do you know how to put the eat too much in there too, right? Or retail therapy too much. I felt some conviction over here. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to ruin your Sunday. Has something become a habit that has become kind of like the thing that you focus on? And what if in that area of your life you just decided to take a decision and choose to trust him in that critical area of your life? You know what I believe what will happen when your faith, when you take a step in your faith, when you begin to trust Jesus in not just belief, but in followership, you will always meet God's faithfulness. Where your trust deepens. And this becomes this wonderful cycle of step and meet him. Step and meet him. And then over time, you will look back on your life and go, I have experienced so much of God that, yes, there are doubts, yes, there are disagreements, yes, there are moments where I was questioning, but at the end of the day, the track record of the faithfulness of God has, I hit a tipping point where all the things that he's done for me has eclipsed what I hope he will do for me. And maybe that's your moment. But for some of us, I think the question I want to ask is, what's your next step? Because maybe for some of you, you would just be honest with yourself and be like, you know what, Justin? 
I believe in Jesus. I'm not exactly sure I've been following Jesus. What would it look like this morning if you dropped your nets and committed your life to him? What if in this moment you said, I have been believing in him. In fact, I would sing songs about him, but I'm not sure if I'm actually following him. And can I tell you, followership followership makes all the difference. Following him in all the areas of your life makes a difference. When you sit there and say, God, not only do I trust you for my eternity, but I trust you in every area of my life. What if that's you? What would that look like right now if you said, I want to commit my life. I want, I've been believing in him, but I want to commit my life and I want to follow him. And I want to just make that declaration this morning. So in a moment, I'm I'm going to pray for us. And sometimes I will give invitations like this and I'll have you bow your head. And I think that's, that's doable and that's awesome. But I got to be honest, because I've been on a hike, uh, I feel a little spry. Uh, I think there's moments where we need to be bold with our faith. Don't you agree? There's some moments where you almost need to draw a line in the sand and go, yeah, I'm not turning back. Almost like you and I need to have moments where we burn the ships of retreat and say, I've crossed the line. And so... In just a few moments, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but if you're sitting there going, Justin, I've been a believer, but I'm not sure if I've been a follower, and I want to follow him this morning, I want you to raise your hand in front of everybody in here right now. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. That's a pretty powerful thing. All eyes were on you, but I I, I feel that as followers of Jesus, We can't be shy about this anymore. I think we have to be bold. And if you can't be bold in in a community of faith, because these people, every person that had your hand up, I guarantee someone's going to come up to you afterwards and go, man, I've got your back, whatever you need. In fact, if they don't, come find me and I'll find somebody. They make sure. That's the kind of faith, faith community we need to have. So if we can all stand up to our feet, some of those that raised your hand... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray, and I want you to make this prayer for yourself. But I just want to thank you for your boldness to say, I've been a believer, but I'm not sure if I've been a follower. And to follow today, that, that's a powerful thing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you saw those hands go up. And that was a, a, a bold and courageous thing to do when all eyes are on us. But, Lord, there are some that said, you know, I've been believing. I believe that Jesus is the Savior, but I'm not exactly sure I've been following him. But, but Lord, help us. As we live in a, in, a, in a world, in a world that seems to be going its own way and, and, and choosing its own path, we want to follow a different path. We want to follow the way of Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. We don't want to just believe in you. We want to follow you in every area of our life. So help us in this pursuit, God. Help us as we follow you. Because there's going to be moments where we disagree and we need to set our disagreements to the side and still follow you. There are going to be moments where we doubt, 
but we have experienced too much. We've, we've seen too much. We've experienced too much of your love and your grace to turn back now. Help us as we follow you with everything in us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Just to let you know, if, if you raise your hand, we would love to have a talk with you and help you determine what your next step is. For everyone else, I want you to find three people and go, I'm a follower. How about you? We'll see you next week. <laughs>